Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. This kind of weight inclusive approach, it basically means like, let's step away from the pursuit of weight loss and tease apart health from that. And let me and my body decide what I'm going to take as a tool and what am I going to get rid of? And then you decide. I'm Kristen Dobniak holistic nutritionist and mama of two, and this is the Healthy Balance Mama podcast, a podcast about ditching the diet dogma, embracing intuitive eating, real food, and living healthy, happy, and whole. Please note the information and opinions on this podcast are intended for information and inspiration only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Please consult with your healthcare practitioner before making any changes. Now, onto the show. Hey there, Healthy Mamas, Kristen Dovniak back for another episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. Today, I am so thrilled to have another guest on with me today. I know the information she is going to share with you is going to impact so many of you like it has for me. Julie Duffy Dillon is a nutrition therapist, podcaster, eating disorder specialist, and author. She's the host of the Love Food Podcast, one of my personal favorites, and the creator of the program PCOS and Food Peace. So without further ado, welcome, Julie. Um, Thanks, can you Kristen. just first tell listeners who don't know who you are, I've already given you a little introduction, um, but just a little more about you and what you do. Well, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me to chat. And um, so... Uh, like you said, I'm a registered dietitian, and I help people to feel more at home in their own skin. And I specialize in helping people with PCOS. And the reason behind that, well, I really didn't want to work with medical conditions anymore. But when I was working as uh, an eating disorder dietitian, I kept working with people with PCOS. And I'm like, wow, this condition seems to be like the breeding ground for eating disorder behavior Mm -hmm. and the pressure to diet and to exercise a lot, no matter what it took um, to be smaller was, it, it just was really intense for my clients. And, you know, I don't have PCOS. So I had to learn that basically they were just pressured so much to cut things out. And at this point in my career, I had already decided that diets don't work for most people. So I wasn't going to be putting anyone on a diet anymore. So I had to kind of just figure out another way to help people with PCOS. And luckily, I found some clinicians that were trained in working with PCOS outside of weight. And um, one person in particular, her name is Monica Wolsey. She's someone that took me under her wing and trained me. And unfortunately, she passed away in 2017. But I'm really grateful for her because she helped me to understand some of the complicated physiology with PCOS and why focusing on weight is just torture and futile mm-hmm. and not even really the point. <laughs> so um, so since then, I've been doing lots of different projects like with media and speaking and um, like you said, a podcast called Love Food and really hoping to connect with as many people with PCOS as possible to help them to know that like you don't have to torture your body anymore. There's other ways to... So 
Polycystic ovarian syndrome, otherwise known as PCOS, like you were saying, is so common among women. And I know that I encounter it with many women I counsel on intuitive eating, and I truly wish that there were more dietitians like you and doctors that approach PCOS with the non-diet haze approach that I could just refer them to, because I'm not the expert on that. So for my listeners who don't even know what PCOS is, could you just give a brief overview of the condition and what the traditional treatment approach would be? Sure. So PCOS is an endocrine condition or endocrine disorder that has metabolic and reproductive consequences. And what that basically means is that metabolically, this hormonal kind of dysregulation or whatever you want to call it, ends up causing things like insulin to be higher than normal for most people with PCOS. And it also causes um, things like cholesterol and blood pressure issues. And then, and and this is how most people think of PCOS, it also has this reproductive side to it. Um, The consequences for a lot of people ends up being infertility and um, endometriosis or kind of uh, troubles with period or painful periods or just issues with ovulation in general. And it can look really different from person to person. And so, um, you know, a lot of times when we talk about it, it'll, it'll has like such a big, um, big range of symptoms, which can be really frustrating for clients I work with. I don't know if you've experienced this too, but like, it's, it's just, it can look different from person to person. And so a lot of times people are like, do I even really have this thing? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, the, the part about PCOS that's frustrating is that it affects so many people, but yet it's really poorly researched. And right now the traditional treatment, like the primary treatment method for PCOS is weight management. Um, also, you'll hear it referred to as like lifestyle modification. And, um, you know, just like the rest of the world, people with PCOS have different shapes and sizes, like they come in every shape and size. And yet, so there's people with PCOS who are walking around who are not in larger bodies. And yet lifestyle modifications and weight management are the primary ways that people are told to manage the condition. And so it ends up being this really messy thing, in my opinion, because, well, you know, pursuing weight loss, we don't have a way to do that that actually helps most people. And what about people whose weights are not larger than what someone deems unacceptable? What are they supposed to do? So this traditional treatment has a lot of problems with it. Oh, yeah, for sure. So my listeners may or may not know that I was actually diagnosed with PCOS about three years ago. Um, And I am in a smaller body. um, And I was actually, um, I had just finished um, competing in a fitness competition. So I've talked about this in a recent episode. This is is years ago when I was in um, a very unhealthy place in in my life in terms of my fitness and my health or lack thereof. Um, And I remember uh, my midwife who, you know, works as, as, um, kind of like a gynecologist for me. I remember her looking at me and going, well, you don't need to lose weight. And she really didn't have an answer for me as to, Mm. she's like, well, just keep your blood sugar balanced. And there was really no answer for me as to what, you know, what I could do to manage my PCOS, to manage my symptoms at the time. I mean, part of it was the fact that I was very underweight because of the the fitness competition that I had been participating in, um, but I wasn't getting a period. Um, And there were all these symptoms and she had no answers for me. And my MD actually almost dismissed it. She, you know, she saw my test results and she saw, you know, I had high androgens and that my, I was missing my period. And I had actually, since I was um, a preteen, I had a lot of menstrual issues. Um, and she was sort of like, I don't think you really have this. Just like a lot of, you know, a lot of women, like you were saying, are wondering, like, do I really have this? And, and what is, you know, what do I do if I'm not in a place to, to lose weight? So why is losing weight not the answer to fixing PCOS? Hmm. Well, because I, I feel like there's so many different reasons why it's not mm-hmm. the answer. But really, what like your experience going to the doctor and having them just like look at your body and then judge whether or not you have this condition, um, and not really taking in fact like. I mean, sometimes we can find out things by looking at a person's like the high androgen levels. I'm like pointing to my chin, you know, like having more facial hair. That could be a way to look at someone and to be able to identify some things going on. But basically body size, um, what you were experiencing is how fat phobia was affecting Mm -hmm. your medical care because they were saying, well, you don't weigh enough to have PCOS. 
And that's where fat phobia and really the, the stigma against body sizes is getting in the way of treating this really complicated condition because it's only looking at weight, which is really just like is someone's body conforming to what I think they should look like. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what it doesn't really take into account is um, what are actually your behaviors? What are what's your like chemistry, you know, what's your lab value showing? Um, How are you actually feeling? Like, do you have a lot of energy? Or do you feel like crap all the time? Do you? Mm. um, Are you having infertility, like uh, digging just a little bit deeper, actually gives so much more of the story. And, you know, a lot of people I talk to with PCOS, they'll tell me that when their weight is suppressed, or when they're doing unhealthy things to manage their body weight and over exercising, under eating and feeling horrible, um, they often were under the radar from the PCOS realm. Mm -hmm. And they had classic symptoms, like they had like, no period or the facial hair. Um, They had some of the things that normally would show duh, that's PCOS happening. Mm-hmm. But because their weight suppressed, it, it just was like, oh, then you're fine. And and like you were saying too, you were kind of alluding to like, they kind of were like rewarding you because mm-hmm. your weight was lower. And so how that, and also yet you were so not in a healthy place, it sounds like, yeah. you know, um, and how like medically, that just wasn't good medicine. And so yeah, like, pursuing that weight loss doesn't really fix it because first of all, it's not sustainable for most people. And then mm-hmm. also um, it's missing out on a good portion of people with this condition. And it's actually not improving health. Um, it may initially for like three to six months, a lot of the PCOS research, when we look at it, it's only six weeks, 12 weeks, sometimes six months long, but that's like, that's considered the long-term research in PCOS. And um, when we look at things that can look a year out or two years out or five years out, these types of traditional treatment methods really don't work long term. They don't help ovulation. They won't help insulin levels just because not only can we not do it, but it also leads to things like inflammation, which is a big part of PCOS. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's something that I think is missing out a lot of the PCOS conversations is chronic dieting or long term weight suppression like you were experiencing or um, just even yo-yo dieting, like doing any of those things long term, what we know is that it increases inflammation and um, short term dieting seems to lower inflammation, but long term it does it. And I don't Mm -hmm. know about you, but I'm like, long term seems better as a dietitian. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) not just the short term. And what that means for PCOS, though, is this chronic pro inflammatory state is already going on with PCOS. And so then when you throw chronic dieting and yo yo dieting and all those things that go with um, the typical diet experience, that just makes more inflammation and inflammation for PCOS makes a person feel just like they have zero energy. And it's not just like me fatigued from sleep deprivation from my colicky kid who never slept, slept, but just like, uh, and you could probably explain it more than me, but my clients tell me it's like an exhaustion, like you cannot get up. And then every cell in your body is like, you need to eat carbs at the same time because of this inflammatory experience the body's insulin levels are really high to because mm-hmm. that's what happens in inflammation. And so then that's the one thing people are told to cut out. So then it's like this primal need that um, it's going to feel like a person literally is wants to die, not wants to die, but it's going to make their body feel like it's dying if they don't get it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, weight, weight loss pursuits are not going to fix it. They just aren't for most people. Yeah. And I think what, I think what a lot of women, um, and a lot of society forgets is that PCOS is a lifelong condition. That's not to say that mm-hmm. it's not something that can be managed well, but it's, you know, it's not something that's just going to be fixed in the short term. It's not like, you know, you have a cut on your leg and as long as you treat it well, then it will, you know, eventually heal. It's something that it, it needs to be managed well and for using short term type efforts to try and manage something that is a long-term condition, it's it's not going to work long-term. And oh, I can so relate to that. That was the exhaustion was actually the reason I went to the doctor for blood tests. I That and the fact that I was concerned that it had been a long time since I hadn't gotten my period, even though, you know, I had had struggles my whole life. It was that exhaustion. And I knew that, okay, well, I'm trying to, you know, get, you know, into a healthier place after this fitness competition that I was, um, that I was doing. But no, it was that, 
exhaustion that I can't even explain. Like I was my two year old, I was playing with her in the afternoon and I would like fall asleep, mm. like sit, like sitting, playing with her because not fall asleep, but I would like, I would doze off mm-hmm. sitting there and I was like, I need to go. And that's when she did the test and she was like, oh yeah, you've got the classic, you know, PCOS androgens <laughs> at least. Um, and, and so, yeah, so I really appreciate you, you talking about how it's not just weight loss. That's not just, that's not the answer. Um, mm. So what does it mean then to have a weight neutral body positive approach to PCOS treatment? So what it means, um, let me see, gosh, it means a lot of things. But what I think about is it's it's not fighting your body anymore. And Mm. what I encourage people with PCOS to to consider is that their body is telling them that this hurts for a reason. It's not that you have to make your body hurt. You don't have to be hungry. You don't have to starve yourself and overexercise when you don't like, if you're not feeling like you want to move your body, that's your body telling you something that's really prized information. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like, you know, like, Again, I don't have PCOS, so I can't say I understand. I try really hard, but I can't really understand it. But the one thing that I get that it's different is I I feel like the body with PCOS, it has a more direct line of communication than those of us without it because that exhaustion you are feeling um, – it's like a really intense feeling or those carb cravings, they are primal cravings. And for me, without PCOS, a craving is more like a nag. You know, it's kind of like, mm-hmm. eh, you kind of want this right now. It's so much more ambiguous, but it's like, it's like a bullhorn or a megaphone <laughs> with yeah. PCOS. You know, it's so much more direct. And I feel like we we should really encouraging people with PCOS to listen to that and, and learn from it and You know, we don't know very much about PCOS. We really should know more because of how many people are affected by it, but we don't. And so what we know is that a person can figure out through their own individual experiences what helps them and what doesn't. But what gets in the way is if there's that pursuit of weight loss, Mm -hmm. um, if there's any kind of just like getting on the scale and hoping for it to be less. That seems to be the one thing that keeps that from happening, um, mm-hmm. keeps that mind-body connection from really being clear. And so does just dieting in general. So if someone's not eating enough, they're going to feel that extreme fatigue and constant carb cravings. And so what the body needs and doesn't need isn't going to be as clear. It's just going to be like a constant like alarm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I grew up in the Midwest where um, – tornado alarms happened every Monday at noon. And it was like this really like, really loud alarm. And I almost picture, I can't believe I made that sound on a podcast, but I, <laughs> but I almost picture um, someone who's like constantly pursuing weight loss with PCOS and having those cravings and exhaustion. It's like that alarm is going off all the time. Mm-hmm. And so you can't hear anything else. You know, everything else is going to be like you can't hear it you can't connect with it but when a person starts to move away from dieting and eats enough which what's enough well that just depends on the person and mm-hmm. and honestly I feel like we all need more food than we probably think we need because of our diet culture we live in um Summer Inan is a health coach that she often says like we she uses some curse words with it so I won't say it but like <laughs> she says like as grown grown blank people we need more food than we think you know and yeah. and um i i really think that with pcos as well because of that pro-inflammatory state the body is constantly going through repair work and so we need more food so this kind of weight inclusive approach it basically means like let's step away from the pursuit of weight loss and tease apart health from that and let me and my body decide what i'm going to take as a tool and what am I going to get rid of? And then you decide, (laughs) you know, like you get to decide what works and what doesn't. And until weight, like until science catches up with it, that's just the way we need to be doing things with PCOS is like, let's just help you individually one person at a time. That is so awesome. I love that. And you know, it's almost, I almost, when you were, when you were talking and talking about how much stronger those, you know, those cues are in many women with PCOS, I'm thinking it's almost a gift that they have this, like these intense carb, and I remember experiencing those carb cravings. Thankfully, I've, I've gotten to a healthier place now and I don't experience them like I did before. But you know, that extreme fatigue, those intense carb cravings, our body is 
yelling at us, like you were saying, rather than that, you know, that subtleness that, you know, some other some other women might experience, we can respond to that. But if we are dieting, and we're focusing on our weight, and we're not responding to that, then we're not, you know, accepting that as, you know, a gift, maybe PCOS doesn't feel like a gift. But the fact that we can manage it naturally by tuning into our bodies really is. Um, and the fact that our body is telling us, listen, you need to tune in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a mom yelling at their kid that's like, running into the street you like scream really yeah. loud yeah. <laughs> you know and, and that's what the body's doing it's like please please we're trying to like keep you alive this is not working right yes yeah. So then where do you recommend someone with a PCOS diagnosis who wants to take this non-diet haze approach to PCOS even start? It's obviously important to manage symptoms and prevent those comorbidities, but can we do that without dieting? Where would they even start? You know, it it's a really hard sell, but mm-hmm. the first thing, the first step that I think for anyone with PCOS and actually anyone that I work with, even if they have PCOS or not, is to um, move away from that pursuit of weight loss. And I say that because until we move away from that, we're not going to be fueling our body enough. And our food is going to have so many conditions on it that there's not going to be permission to eat. And when we don't have permission to eat, our brain is going to be fixated on food and food's going to control our life in a way that it wasn't really designed to. Like, food controls us because we do need it to stay alive and we want it to control us in that way, but we don't want to be thinking about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the thing about PCOS in, in particular is once a person does start to eat enough, that really loud alarm kind of experience starts to be quieter. And then there's this like nuance that starts to bubble up where my clients will say, you know, I notice when I eat I don't know, let me think of something random. Um, Greek yogurt, I get a headache and I feel sluggish. But then when I eat regular yogurt, which I don't know, Nusa yogurt, I don't know, some other kind, (laughs) I feel great. It gives me energy. And it's like like specific kind of, I call it like intel. (laughs) Like It's Mm -hmm. like specific data that helps the body and the mind work together to then communicate, hey, this is this is something that is fueling for us. And this is not and um, it's really not until a person moves away from dieting and then starts to get that really individual kind of data points, where then, um, then some of the health condition side of PCOS start to ease up. And, um, you know, people often are concerned about diabetes, which what is it like 40% of people with PCOS end up with prediabetes by the time they're 40, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a it's a concern for sure. And but dieting chronically is only going to make blood sugar worse and mm-hmm. insulin worse. So it's, it will sound counterintuitive to say like, stop pursuing weight loss and stop restricting sugar. And that's going to help my diabetes outcomes. Yes, it will. Because um, by healing your relationship with food and eating enough, it'll help you then to be able to discern which foods you actually feel like energize you. And once a person's at that place, that's when insulin levels are coming down and uh, blood sugar is coming down and blood pressure, all these other things that we think about with PCOS, ovulation improves. Um, so yeah, like it, it'll feel counterintuitive at first. And again, I always feel like it's like a hard sell to be like, yeah, you kind of need to do the opposite of what everything that you've been told to do to help manage these conditions for a little while, but you have to heal. And um, it's not that healing our relationship with food doesn't help prevent diabetes. It does help prevent it. It just um, is going to take some mess in the beginning to get there. And mm-hmm. and you really need things like that rebellion. Um, like a lot of times people experience binging after they've been restricting. Like we need to experience that in order to heal. And so again, it'll feel like, oh my gosh, that's going to make my blood sugar worse. And maybe initially it will, but it's like you have to think of the long haul here. And yes. It's going to be messy in the in the middle, but then eventually you'll get to the place where you feel like it's not necessarily the other side, but it'll just feel more at ease, and you'll feel more um, more clarity for you. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? I'm I'm living proof that you know after my PCOS diagnosis, and I had actually. Um, I had met with an intuitive eating counselor and I had read the book, but I had, I met with an intuitive eating counselor and I really wanted to 
get to a place where I wasn't obsessing over food anymore. Um, you know, I've, I've told my story here on the podcast, but I had an eating disorder and then I didn't. And then I got into fitness and it was more disordered eating. And I really wanted to get into this healthy place. And, you know, I was sharing with her that, you know, I had PCOS and that I was nervous that by ditching dieting entirely that I would be able to find a healthy place. And I knew that we wanted to try for our second daughter, but I was not ovulating when I should be. Um, And I still didn't have a cycle. And it really wasn't until I stopped completely like dieting entirely. I stopped tracking everything. I stopped worrying about my carbs and started literally just tuning in to my body. And I was able to, you know, (laughs) I was able to have my cycle came back and it came back regularly. I was able to conceive my second daughter. And when I went back to my midwife, actually on Monday of this week, um, she asked me how my cycles were. And I'm like, they're regular. And she was like, what? Mm. I was like, yeah. And she's like, have you done anything different? I'm like, not since we last talked, (laughs) because I'm just tuning in and listening to my body. And I hope that's encouragement for women who are listening, Um, just as a real life example of of what you're explaining that, you know, it seems counterintuitive, but it's not because our body gives us the signals that we need. Mm -hmm. You just have to trust it for sure. And that could be hard when you've been told you can't trust it. Yes. Yeah. And so that actually leads me into the next question I have, which I know women who have PCOS and are listening and are like, okay, I'm sold. I'm not dieting anymore. (laughs) How do you talk to your doctor or health professional about the fact that you will no longer be pursuing weight loss as an active goal? I know Mm. that, you know, women are scared that the doctor will retaliate against that. And isn't that so sad? Like even that word retaliate. I mean, it's true, right? I mean, I feel like that's what people have been telling me for so long with PCOS is that doctors will literally like yell at them Mm -hmm. to um, lose weight. um, And even people who will be telling me that their, their amount of food that they're allowing themselves is way below what anyone would ever recommend but doctors Mm -hmm. are still saying you just need to eat less either they're not believed or they just need to try harder and um so part of me wants to just acknowledge like it's it's a challenge and uh, and you know for some people they just choose not to tell their doctor and you know Mm -hmm. what that's fine um if you have access to to shop around and to find some other doctors i would encourage you there are um, some doctors it's not an exhaustive list but there's uh, many doctors you can find who are weight inclusive or at least um people who are not pursuing weight loss anymore have put on a list. It's called fat friendly docs or fatfriendlydoctors.com. And so people who um, have found just practitioners in general that they think are supporting them without pushing weight loss, they'll put them on there. So it may not be a doctor who's like saying that they are, but they at least are, you know, comp- comprehensive and compassionate mm-hmm. in their care outside of weight. But, um, you know, I've, I've learned a few things from clients and reading work from Reagan Chastain. She's a um, fat activist who um, is a someone that I've read a lot of her work. And one of the things that she has said is um, she actually has on her blog. I can send you the link and so you can put it in the show notes if you yeah. want. But she has these like really great prompts you can say to the doctor. And, and one of them, especially if someone has an eating disorder history, um, a person can say to their doctor, like, listen, um, I have an eating disorder history. The talk of the pursuit of weight loss in any way or dieting will set me up to relapse. And my eating disorders are fatal. And so I cannot talk about dieting or weight loss ever again, mm-hmm. period. And um, so that's one avenue. Um, the other one that Reagan has outlined in this like prompt from this blog post, um, one that a lot of my clients will use is that they'll say to their doctor when they bring up weight loss or weight is, um, listen, I've tried weight loss in every shape or form for the last, you know, 20 years or whatever, and it hasn't worked for me. I need to hear another option. Mm -hmm. Um, and then another one is, um, what do you tell your, um, smaller clients with PCOS, how do you tell them to manage the condition? You can use this for a lot of stuff too. Like someone has bad knees. You can say like, Hey doctor, what do you tell your thinner clients with bad knees to, what do you tell them to do? You know, they'll probably say like, I recommend physical therapy or something like that. Yeah. Um, so those are like three that always come to mind. Um, but advocating for yourself with PCOS is very challenging. And so sometimes my clients do say that at times they dislike go to the doctor expecting to hear the same speech. They kind of just roll their eyes in their head and then carry on. Um, 
and I just have to say that is just horrible. I feel like it's mm-hmm. lazy medicine. They shouldn't be doing this. Not the clients, but the, the physicians yeah. and healthcare providers. Because um, we we know in the evidence that diets don't work long term. And so let's 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 think of another way. Um, and then also when a person can't advocate, I just hope they have compassion for themselves that they shouldn't have to they shouldn't have to do this, you know? Yeah. So yeah. give yourself some grace when you need it. As much as, uh, even when you don't think you need it, give yourself some grace in this matter, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. That was great. And I will definitely, I'll get those links for you and put those yeah. in, um, in the show notes for sure. So I would love to transition into some of the common questions about just managing PCOS. And you already talked about some of this, but let's talk about the million dollar question then. What about carbs? I know that, you know, I, I kind of talked about when I was first diagnosed, this was one of the first things managed. It was like, or talked uh, talked about was that just manage your carbs, just, you know, balance your blood sugar. Um, you'll just have to watch your carbs forever, which is yeah. was what I was told. Um, and so the flip side of this is those intense carb cravings that, you know, you're talking about many women, most women with PCOS experience. So can you kind of talk about the role of insulin resistance in PCOS? Um, and does this mean we need to cut out carbs for good? I think you already answered that. But <laughs> yeah, you know, I was recently interviewed on the Heavy Flow podcast, which is um, some uh, the woman's name is Amanda. Laird, I hope I'm saying her last name correctly. And um, she's someone with PCOS. And one of the things that I was talking about was like that primal urge to um, eat carbs and sugar that happens with PCOS, especially when it's not being managed in the way that a person probably wants to manage it. So insulin levels are super high, inflammation is really high. Um, and how that craving again is just like almost like feels like an animal like I have to eat this whole loaf of bread I have to eat all these cookies and um, how it'll feel like I'm gonna die if I don't have it and um, she was like no one's ever told me that before but that's exactly how I feel it Mm. and um, it and I feel like that's that right there to me when she was saying that I'm like yes because cutting out carbohydrates well you know, if you are a robot or like looking at in a Petri dish or something like that, sure, cutting out carbohydrates will bring down blood sugar or bring down insulin levels or help with inflammation. But we are not robots or a Petri dish. Mm-hmm. And the long term management of this ends up making those things worse. And it feels like torture, because mm-hmm. um, taking out carbohydrates to me is like putting the cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's trying to control a condition by removing something that the body is screaming it needs. Mm -hmm. And instead, um, you know, I I have like a 12 step system I take people through. And I think talking about carbohydrates is either number nine or number 10. Mm. (laughs) And, and honestly, those last few ones are really almost end up being not really important. Because when my clients find ways to manage their PCOS and bring down insulin levels, carbs just sort themselves out. Mm-hmm. It just it just ends up become a moot point. And so what I think about carbs is that they are not what you should be even looking into. Um, your body will let you know what to do with them. And when your body is screaming, it needs carbs. What I encourage my clients to do is to like, that's a sign that insulin is high and or inflammation has gotten worse. So it's a sign that like the PCOS needs something. It may be you need better sleep or a sleep disorder has developed or you're extra stressed out right now or you haven't been eating enough or you've been exercising more and not eating enough to support that movement. Um, I really want people to take a step back whenever they feel these intense cravings as, um, oh, this is my body's way of telling me I need something or something has changed. And um, so instead of focusing so much on carbs is instead focusing, okay, how much do I need to eat to feel energized? And, you know, the other part of it is I do think people with PCOS probably just need more protein. I don't necessarily think they need to have something um, specific type, like only plant-based or only animal-based or, you know, no, I just think they probably just need more protein. And it's going to vary from person to person. And that's besides eating enough food, like making sure you're not like restricting. Mm-hmm. That's really where I encourage people to start is with that. Yeah. I 
love I love that you put it that way too. It's it's really about the other stuff, and then they'll sort of work them work itself out. Because I know I was working with a client a few weeks ago, and she has PCOS, and she's like, you, you just need to tell me what kind of carbs to eat. Mm. And I'm like, I can't tell you what kind of carbs to eat. We're gonna work on all of this other stuff. And I think you'll figure it out. And she was a little frustrated by my answer. Um, but, you know, a few, few weeks later, and she's already starting to feel a little bit better about Yeah, I was like, listen to Kristen. Yeah. She knows what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so then I want to go into um, a little bit more of some of, like, the, the medical treatment of, of PCOS, which is something that I don't have a ton of experience with. Um, so there are common medications and nutrient recommendations for PCOS, like metformin as a medication or omega-3s as a supplement. Um, but ones that is le- one that is less talked about and I have heard you talk about is inositol. So can you talk a little bit more about inositol, what it is and its role in PCOS? Yes. So inositol is really exciting because like you said, metformin is pretty much the standard um, thing that people are prescribed at this point to help with PCOS. And metformin is an insulin sensitizer. And, you know, I think the recent research I was reading, it was said between 75 and 95% of people with PCOS have high circulating insulin levels. And um, so that's why metformin, which is a, a drug that we often hear about with diabetes, why that's so commonly prescribed. And people with PCOS, of course, need a lot more metformin than people with diabetes need because of their insulin levels are so high. And so it's always been kind of like this head scratcher, like, hmm, why why are these insulin levels so high? What's going on? And this is where inositols kind of come in. So what we know about inositols is it basically brings me back like to, okay, this is why as dietitians we need to take biochemistry <laughs> because of inositols. But um, inositols are secondary messengers. They're a part of B vitamins. I think there's nine different types and two different types, the myo-inositol and d inositol again, biochemistry at its finest, um, <laughs> are two that have been really um, – been highlighted with PCOS. And um, to understand inositol, I think it's important to know what it does for people that who don't have PCOS or any kind of like insulin resistance or any insulin issues. So um, I don't have any of those at this point in my life that I'm aware of. And, you know, when I have, um, when I eat something, you know, food gets broken down to smaller pieces and it turns into glucose and the body releases insulin to help take that glucose and t- um, open the door of a cell and give us energy. It gives me energy. And I often think of insulin like a doorman. You know, it's, it opens the door, the food goes in, we feel energized. And with PCOS, uh, or not no, going too far ahead with with that um door if it ever gets stuck if it starts to get like kind of sticky um what the body will do is it releases um what people are theorizing in the biochemistry world is that it releases these two or maybe even more um inositols and that helps like to be almost be like wd-40 to the door jam and so the Mm -hmm. the doorman can open the door um insulin can open the door and get energy so with pcos what the theory is at this point is that there's either a defect or a deficiency in inositols in these two different types. And so when the body is trying to like open up the door and it's sticky, it, it's not able to send in the WD-40. So the body just releases more insulin and more insulin and more insulin. And so when that happens, when insulin goes up like that, it is just so um pushing that and inflammation to be higher and makes more hormones get out of whack and um, could be behind so many of the consequences of PCOS. Mm-hmm. So by supplementing with inositol um, has been really exciting. The research is really exciting with PCOS. It probably is going to be something that's prescribed. They're going to probably have some medical grade formula that they're going to make up and sell for a bazillion dollars <laughs> and then we'll have to get it from our doctors. But for right now, it's just in a supplement form. And um, the the research is evolving a lot. And so as I say this, I mean, I may outdate myself within the next couple of years with this because mm-hmm. it's all it's it's constantly changing. But at this point, as this recording, um, w- the recommendation is a 40 to one ratio of the myo to d chiro and mm-hmm. because that's the naturally occurring amount for those of us without PCOS or any insulin stuff. And Something else that's really cool about inositol is that by supplementing with inositol with PCOS, not only does it sort of act like metformin 
it has like an insulin sensitizing effect, but it seems to really get to some more of the core issues of PCOS. And we know PCOS starts starts in the hypothalamus, um, which is in our brain, of course. And the hypothalamus is where um, our mood, you know, that's where it's mm-hmm. controlled. And for so many people, anxiety and or depression or ADD or bipolar disorder, like so many different mood disorders are part of the PCOS experience for my mm-hmm. clients that um, inositol seems to be doing something with that. So much so that it's now being studied to just treat anxiety period outside of PCOS. Oh, cool. It's also being studied to treat insulin resistance outside of PCOS. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something to this inositol thing. And um, it's only going to get more interesting, I think. And so definitely stay up on it. And here's the catch-all really important definitely like listen up to this part anyone listening who's like wow i want to start taking inositol is don't just buy it from anybody because mm-hmm. i feel like the i'm jaded in supplement industry because um i feel like they prey on vulnerability and no one is more vulnerable than someone with pcos who is trying to have a baby I mean, I mm-hmm. feel like that is, you don't mess with maternal desire. I have my own infertility history. And like, I remember I would do anything to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And um, you can be, feel really vulnerable. And so inositol supplements, there's a lot of really bogus ones. There's a lot that don't have the right ratio. There's a lot of them that don't, when they test them, they don't even have inositol in them. Oh, gosh. So if you're going to buy an inositol supplement, make sure it is third-party tested, which basically means, because the FDA doesn't regulate supplements mm-hmm. in the United States, it um, just means another party is looking into it to making sure that you actually have in there what you say you have in there. And um, it has to also have that 40 to 1 ratio of myo to decairo. And if anyone's listening is like, oh my gosh, this is way too much biochemistry. I can't remember all these details. <laughs> I had a um, nutrition grad student work for me for a couple years, and she wrote a fabulous um, blog post on this. So if you go to my website, it's juliedillonrd.com slash inositol. You'll, all of that will be in there. And there is one product or one company that sells a, uh, an acetal supplement that I currently recommend. I want there to be more, but I still mm-hmm. haven't found another one that has the criteria that I need, like third party tested and the right ratio. Um, so there's information about that brand in there too. Um, so just be choosy who you get it from. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, I feel like before cutting out carbs and doing all those things that people were told with PCOS, looking at these supplements and making sure you're eating enough is going to do so much to help mm. your body just feel like everybody else is feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I hope that helps certainly for someone listening who's like trying to find another thing to try to help. Yeah, that was awesome. And that was such a good explanation. I love that you explained that better than than I could have. And I've I've done some, you know, preliminary research on inositol. And I will link that article because I do think that it's important um, to direct them to, you know, both more information and a supplement that you trust because, yeah, the industry is so unregulated. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, so making sure that it's, it's from a good source if they are wanting to try it. I do have right. one follow-up question um, mm-hmm. for um, for listeners who are like, okay, I'm I want to go buy this inositol supplement, and I'm going to go to Julie's site and find out which one she recommends. If they are taking something else like metformin, do they need to discuss with their doctor before they take something like inositol? Will it um, will have an effect? So always. Um- for sure. Like ask right. your doctor before you take anything. <laughs> yes. Of course. I feel like disclaimer. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. That and, is the caveat um, always. <laughs> and inositol is compatible with metformin. Mm-hmm. It's compatible with pregnancy and lactation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the only people who I would say, um, you know, always talk to your doctor or healthcare provider, but the, the only people that um, I would say pause is um, if, if someone has really, um, hardcore, I don't know, <laughs> there's probably a better clinical way to say this, but IBS, mm-hmm. um, um, very few, I think I've only had probably a half a dozen out of hundreds of people with PCOS that I worked with who've had some negative side effects um, because of how they derive the inositol, mm-hmm. um, the type of um, pro- um, plant that they get it from can cause some more IBS for some people. But um, most of the people with IBS I work with, it hasn't caused any problem, but there have been a few people. So um, yeah, talk to your healthcare provider. And if 
if you have IBS, just pause, but it is compatible mm-hmm. with metformin and pregnancy and lactation. So that is awesome, awesome, I think. Yeah, that's that's really good to know. And that that's good to know, too, that if somebody is experiencing digestive problems, even though it's it's rare that they mm-hmm. have an idea mm-hmm. of where it's coming from, because I know that could be up. scary. Like, where did this come from? Um, especially yes. if they have experienced IBS or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So the last thing I wanted to talk about is I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more about stress and its effect on PCOS, because I don't think this is talked about enough, especially in the nutrition world, because it seems unrelated, but it isn't, is it? No, it's not. So what we know to be true is that stress has a really big part of our health. And when I say stress, I don't necessarily just mean like, oh, I'm stressed out about a test I have to take, or I don't know. Um, something like that. Stress can be from so many different places. And um, the majority of stress and how it affects our body comes from like, just the systems of life, you know, if we live in a, a, the, a the way we're living our life, not necessarily a way, but the, the body that we live in. So if our body is one that's consistently marginalized, or we're living in poverty, or uh, we don't have a lot of power in, in our um, community, those are things that cause stress to the point where researchers have been able to determine that if when people are oppressed and marginalized because of their body, maybe they live in a larger body, or they're a person of color, um, or they're um, transgender or they're living a life where they're constantly feeling like not at home in their own skin, that that leads to more inflammation and more Mm -hmm. higher blood pressure, all those things. And when that comes to PCOS, that is not like, that's just going to make it worse. And so I firmly believe people with PCOS, um, I, if I had my way, I would want to put them in a bubble that's cozy and the perfect temperature. I almost said warm, but like <laughs> perfect temperature. A lot of my clients with PCOS and they sweat a lot. So like, maybe not too warm, but cozy and protected and um, full of healthy boundaries, you know, mm-hmm. um, making sure there's um, enough sleep. I really feel like my clients with PCOS that I've worked with, um, and I wonder if you're the same way, they probably need more sleep than other people. Mm-hmm. Um And sleep disorders are really common with PCOS. And so making sure there's boundaries with sleep so you have good sleep hygiene. So that helps manage stress. And doing things like yo-yo dieting or just any kind of chronic dieting or over-exercises, that also promotes stress. Mm -hmm. And when we know with stress that I feel like will be even more tangible is stress and all those different ways that I was just talking about, we know that it it makes blood sugar higher. Yeah. So um, my first five years as a dietitian, um, well, I guess the first like seven or eight, because you can't be one right away, but mm-hmm. I was a diabetes educator. Um, and what we noticed is our clients who are super stressed, even if they were like eating and moving the same way, um, and we were trying to match their insulin to their food intake, because um, that's what you do with, with diabetes, mm-hmm. um, when they were super stressed, they would need more. And we're like, what's going on? And it was just stress that was making their yeah. body make more. And the reason why is, you know, when we were evolving into these people we are today, when we were having to run from a lion, the body would release um, adrenaline and cortisol and blood sugar to help us mm-hmm. like have fuel in our muscles so we could run fast to get away from a lion. Yeah. And so when we're marginalized or dieting, our body thinks it's that we're running from a lion. So when you're experiencing PCOS, however you can like live your life so you're not running from a lion... <laughs> which a lot of it is privilege, honestly, like a lot of us just can't choose that because, you know, we are who we are. But, um, you know, fighting for as many people as possible to not have their bodies marginalized is always what I'm about for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also trying to set up your life as much as you can to not have to run from a lion will help your PCOS for sure. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I know there's there is so much out of our control when it comes to stressors, just in life, whether it is being marginalized, or, you know, it's whatever situation we're in stress at, you know, at work at home. Um, But I talk a lot about I talk about it on Instagram and I use a hashtag simple self care. And it's like the whole idea behind it is it's not my hashtag. I didn't come up with it. I'm sure somebody else came up with it. But the idea is that like, however you can care for yourself just to bring that stress level down, it doesn't need to be crazy. I actually just recorded a podcast um, for Mother's Day about like, self-care, taking care of yourself doesn't have to be manicures and bubble baths, right? Like it can (laughs) just be something to like take a few deep breaths and kind of 
try and bring your stress levels down on a daily basis because of that, you know, the inflammatory effect of stress um, and, you know, how it affects our, our life in so many ways and, and PCOS and other hormonal conditions like that. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> so is there anything else that you would like to share with my listeners when it comes to a food peace approach to PCOS? So I feel like it's important for everyone to know with PCOS, like no matter where you are in your experiences, how long you've known you had it, what type you have, is that food peace is possible for you. And by food peace, what I mean is to feel more at home in your own skin and to trust that you and your body can make the best choices for you. Um, And yeah, I feel like everybody has the ability to have access to food peace. And I'm hopeful that they'll be able to, to connect with it in their own way. And um, yeah, I just I, the way to really start with it again was is to move away from torturing your body, whether it's mm-hmm. dieting or cutting out carbs or anything like that. That's going to be the first step to feeling more at home in your own skin. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So can you share where my listeners can find you then? Sure. So if you have PCOS and you want to know more about the course that I have for people with PCOS, it's PCOSandFoodPeace.com. And then I have a website that um, has lots of blog posts, um, especially on PCOS. um, And you can get to that at JulieDillonRD.com. It is a great resource. I've read a lot of your articles and your podcast too. Thank you. Your podcast is a wonderful podcast too. It's, it's almost a, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air in the podcast world too, because it's a little bit different than some of the other podcasts. So I'm just going to leave it at that and have them go. If they're listening to my podcast, they listen to podcasts (laughs) and have them go listen to the love food podcast as well. I I hope they do enjoy love food. Yeah. And it's, it's for anybody who has a complicated relationship with food, just wanting to find more ways to feel at home in their own skin. So yeah, I hope it helps. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your wisdom, Julie. I really appreciate it. Oh, I love chatting with you. Thank you for inviting me on. Friends, I hope you found this episode so encouraging. I know I did not just as a woman with PCOS because I was already familiar with Julie's work, but just as a woman who is speaking for other women um, who have chronic health conditions and who might be struggling with something like a hormonal imbalance um, or another health condition in which their doctor is urging them to lose weight and that losing weight or going on a diet is the only answer to fixing their health problem. And they're not even considering the other options when it comes to really nourishing our bodies um, in a way that is sustainable because we know diets don't work long term. And I think Julie explained it so well in today's podcast and I think she was so encouraging for women who have PCOS or other hormonal imbalances or who are really just trying to get off that diet train um, and be able to confidently say that they don't need to diet in order to live a healthier life to nourish their bodies um, and that no matter what their body size they deserve to nourish themselves be nourished and not be pressured in that way. She gave some incredible insight into inositol and other ways of treating PCOS without just simply cutting out your carbs or going on a diet. And so I hope that you found all of this encouraging and inspiring. And please don't forget to check the show notes for all of the links um, to all of the things that um, Julie mentioned throughout the podcast. Thank you, friends, so much once again for listening to the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you. If you enjoyed this this podcast, please go ahead and give it a star rating or a review on iTunes. Every rating review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear it. So I deeply appreciate it. If you want to find me, you can find me at HealthyMamaChris.com or the newly launched Supermama Society where I help you nourish your healthy mama life without dieting. Don't forget to follow along with me on Instagram and Facebook at Healthy Mama Chris and join us in the Healthy Mama Life Facebook community, a free space to connect with other women who want to nourish themselves and their families without the diet dogma. Have a beautiful day, friends. See you next episode.